This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Let's talk about policy issues here. An interesting yes. uh, issue before the Supreme Court, which I thought was going to case was going to come down soon, right? Uh, this, well, the uh, right to work, work thing. Yeah, yeah, that deals with public sector employees, right. uh, Only and uh, whether they can be compelled to yeah. um, uh, pay union dues that they don't want to pay. Right. Basically. So we're going to explain all this uh, to you. What uh, all this right to work stuff is about? Why there's an explosion? of interest in it uh, at the state level where state laws have been passed in lots of states. Uh, And let me just give away the punchline. This has got almost nothing to do with unionization, more to do with politics, at least in my view. Well, okay, not mine, but that's what talk Mm. radio is for. We'll disagree. Let's talk about, as it applies in the private sector, right-to-work laws. People sometimes think right-to-work laws has to do with non-competes. It has nothing to do with non-competes. It has to do with joining unions. So for the it's really misnamed, isn't it? It's a dramatic marketing name. There ought to be some other more fair name, or like wage theft, you know, like that. It it is misnamed. In any event... um, um, the first 12 years of the, uh, the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act, was in effect starting 1935. Unions made great strides in a lot of ways. But by 1947, Congress uh, wanted to crack down on unions and pass the so-called Taft-Hartley Act. Now, that was a time when uh, a lot of CIO unions are actually controlled by communists, and there's very great fear of communism in the U.S., et cetera. And, as I recall, Lambden-Griffin Act comes, what, 1957? Yeah, yeah. Um, what really drove that was the Kiefhofer... Um, Estes Kiefhofer of Tennessee, yeah, his House on american Activities Committee. Uh, and what they discovered was enormous corruption in the unions. It wasn't yeah. communism per se. It was corruption, yeah. and especially amongst the Teamsters. Yeah, um, organized crime infiltration. And if, if you looked at uh, public opinion about unions, you know, for or against, you mm-hmm. view them favorably, it was trending up towards 60% of the American public viewing them favorably until oh. after those hearings, and then there was a sharp oh. drop. Did not know that. Uh, from which they never recovered. However, it is still the case that a majority of Americans have a trivially majority, have a positive view of unions, hmm. which is kind of surprising. Interesting. Given the way things play out. Anyway, yeah. so from there to right to work. So, okay. Uh, the question is, uh, certainly that what no one has ever challenged, is that when a union represents a bargaining unit, it's got a bargain for everybody. It's a duty of fair representation to all employees to represent them in negotiations. And, and if they have a grievance, as the contract, uh, that's a to pursue thing. it equally. So yep. they've got to represent everyone. But Congress added so-called Section 14B in 1947, uh, these anti-union amendments that said – and the states really don't play much of a role in in labor public private sector labor relations. Right. Pretty much anything it's they do is law. preempted except that they can pass so-called right-to-work laws, which says that no one can be required to join a union right. or to pay union dues, et cetera. Right. Now, um, unions complain about this. And frankly, they have a bit of a point. In this sense, they have because a, they, a we, big, we have to point. represent people, but they don't have to pay for that representation. It's right. like, remember, taxation without representation? Right. This is representation without taxation. And it is in economics, they call this a free rider problem. Yeah. And that is uh, you can just uh, not pay dues and you get exactly the same thing as if you pay them. So yeah. why would you pay them? OK. Uh, and well, so, you'd pay them to be part of the team. And let's be honest, we're, we're a third, you know, there's there's a minority who don't join the union. 
the union will go through the motions on their grievances, but you're really not part of the gang if you're not paying dues. Well, but people sue, right? Yeah, they do. So there are they lawsuits, do. right? So they to make re- sure they go through the motions. To require that they... Uh, you know, that they represent but I mean, some people for political reasons. It's not just cheapness. Well, it's just for political yeah. reasons, do not want to pay union dues, yeah. support union causes if they're staunch conservatives. A- and that, you know, you might say that's not crazy. So let's go to the next step. And the next step was that uh, unions would say, okay, in those circumstances, you don't have to pay to support our political activities, mm-hmm. but you do have to pay to support. Our work on your behalf, bargaining yep. for yep. you, and representing you in grievance. Correct. And those are called agency, uh, agency fees? Agency, agency fees, fees. Yeah. And uh, as I recall, what happens in these new laws is that they also prohibit unions from charging agency fees. I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, basically, the... You, you, so I under, I'm actually, I've never practiced in a right-to-work state, never negotiated a contract in a right-to-work state. Yep. But I think they say uh, um, you, you can't be forced to join the union or pay any fees whatsoever. Or pay any fees. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. the union does have to represent you. Yes, right. yes. So this is, or, or pretend to represent you know, this is, I mean, whatever you think of unions pro or con, this is really designed to whack the unions, right? And well, you, it was part of a comprehensive set of changes in 1947, uh, and Congress knew what they were doing, that yeah, they were they forcing this situation, and, yeah. and, and Elizabeth Warren and some others want to repeal that 14B to, to eliminate these right-to-work states. I think they'd get a nasty pushback from the middle of the country From the right-to-work states, yeah. Yeah, right-to-work sure. states. Now, yeah, who, sure. how many right-to-work states are there? When I went to school in the 80s, there were, I think, Seventeen or so, it's almost all in the South and yeah. maybe Rocky Mountain states. It has truly expanded since then. Um, right now, actually, all the right to work states border on one another. If you can believe that, oh. mm. uh, uh, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and of course Texas, and on up to North Dakota, over to Florida, up to West Virginia and yeah. Virginia, but now including Michigan, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Yeah, right. Strong union states I, before. Yeah, strong union states before, but now their state legislatures are sufficiently controlled by Republicans. They pass this right-to-work legislation. Mm -hmm. I'm just stunned by that. Yeah. I I remember when I was Mm -hmm. very into the politics of unions and everything in the 80s and just watching it. I would have never believed that would have happened, but it does. Yeah, uh, for sure. And that's why when I was saying this is largely about politics, uh, the politics of this are that uh, both sides, Democrats and Republicans— try to gain an advantage over the other side. And on the Democrat side, unions have been big backers of Democratic um, elect, uh, uh, Democratic yeah. campaigns, Democratic causes. Some of that is money, but a lot of it is boots on the ground, too. Yeah. That is, uh, quote, volunteers, uh, unions uh, organizing, um, you know, phone banks and get-out-the-vote efforts, all that kind of stuff. And that takes us to the case before the Supreme Court, which is the public sector union Mm -hmm. case. And that is uh, states passing laws preventing unions from requiring public employees uh, to join unions or pay fees for union services, right? And there the story is a little different. Uh, Well, actually not so different. And that is that... um, uh, public sector unions at this point are the stronger side of the union equation. 
That is, they make up, I think, a majority now of union members in yeah. the U.S., not private the sector anymore. The percentage of the public sector that is represented by a union is much higher than private yeah. sector, like 51% versus 7%. Is it that much? Wow. If not, I would say the okay. private sector is 6 to yeah. 7%. And one of the reasons why unions have made greater inroads in the public sector is because of politics as well, and that is the management on the public sector side doesn't fight unions no. because union members vote and unions and support. Yeah, and contribute, and unions support political candidates. So that's that's why it's so strong on the public sector side. Um, and if you could get rid of public sector unions, you would get rid of a lot of the support that the Democratic Party has. So the effort to introduce these right-to-work laws in public uh, sector in these states is pretty straight up a Democrat-Republican fight, and Republicans are in control, and this is a way to take out support for the Democratic Party. That's really what it's about. Well, let me disagree in a small sense. As the private sector in the the 14B and the the right-to-work laws, at least the messaging when this goes through isn't, oh, we want to stick it to the Democrats. Oh, we of want course to stick not. it to the unions. Right, right. They're talking about economic development, which is to say a nice little billboard for any entity, any companies yeah. thinking of relocating there, putting jobs there that um, we're, we're not going to let the unions hound you into unprofitability. That, that's, right. That, that uh, we're going to be – we're going to kill the unions and you'll like that. <laughs> right. I don't think they use the word kill, but okay. Well, I mean, but that's the reality. It's basically right? that, we're, we're going to create an environment that's less friendly for them, less, less the motivating. Public, to, but the public sector side is not that. It's not that this is going to be great for competitiveness in these states. It's not that. No. It is. I mean, there are different, you know, you could make different ideological arguments in favor of not having unions in the public sector. And some of those are perfectly reasonable arguments about governance, right? Yeah. Uh, that is, who gets to make decisions about uh, things like wages? Is it yeah. the taxpayers or is it collective bargaining? Yeah. But these are really political fights between the Democrats and the Republicans. You could also make sound arguments just about basic efficiency of operations. Okay. I see unions in, in many as, as making the, the public sector operations less efficient. Frankly, we're talking about police brutality. The union protections most police officers have. Uh, are said to to uh, protect even a, a, a police officers out of bounds. I think here's the here's the assumption the, that you're making, Dan, and I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that. Well, I don't agree with it, frankly, and that is that um, on their own, managers would really make better decisions, and I don't think that's true. So, you know, the number one thing that uh, people voting for unions want from their unions, we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. Uh, and this is based on survey data, is they want uh, grievance procedures. It's yeah. not higher wages. It's not work funny work rules. It's the ability to challenge uh, management decisions. And, you know, often they've got pretty sensible reasons uh, for doing that, right? So yeah. have some ability to challenge them. And the way grievance procedures work, if you don't know, is the union basically can say uh, this particular management decision violates the principles of the contract or the contract per se, and then they usually negotiate some solution Mm -hmm. to this, and if not, it goes to a third-party arbitrator who decides whether it's true or not. Yeah. Well, and I I agree there's mixed evidence on the issue of whether unions make a workforce less efficient. 
my own observations starting as a youth when I was a member of the United Steel Workers of America on the other side of the equation is they often do. Not always, but often do. But they made your life better. You got paid a whole lot more than you would have. Got paid a whole lot more, as did my coworkers, until yep. they got paid nothing because the place closed down. Yeah, and I've but, seen. But you think they, otherwise? You think that would have happened otherwise? You know, you think they'd still be in business if they hadn't had unions? Yeah, they might. Because oh, come the on, thing is, it's not you, so much the wage com- rates that strangle with, the employers; it's with the work Chinese, rules. You think they would have been able to compete with Chinese and Korean steel? You think they'd still be okay without that? Um, the you problem, never know. Well, It'd the be problem a is game. the non-union steel plants. Uh, are not thriving, right? It's not like steel has come back in these right-to-work states, right? Yeah, but they're surviving, aren't they? Well, uh, they're at least there, which is a lot better than most U.S. steel production facilities. Well, uh, I think the difference is what has survived is a completely different kind of steel. It's mini mills, yeah. right? Small, efficient production, electric-based, and what has disappeared are integrated steel mills, the great big ones. Now, whether integrated steel mills would have survived if unions had gone away, I don't think so. And the other thing about it is, we know, is that once these firms and these plants get unionized, you start to see disinvestment in them. That the employers, understandably, move their capital someplace else to plants plants that are are not unionized. So then they're, you know, you're kind of priming the plants for obsolescence and to close anyway, right? So is that caused by the union? Yeah, well, in some way it is. But uh, is it inevitable? It's a management decision to do that. So, yeah. you know, right. um, we have there an you op- go. We have an op-ed piece from the New York Times that basically agrees with you. They, they study a series of counties, and they conclude after right-to-work laws are in place, Democrats up and down the ballot do worse. Less likely to be elected, lower lower voter turnout. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt. There's this Democrat Republican fight. The only thing we're disagreeing about is is there what else is behind it? Yeah, and you know, I think it's mainly that. But we'll see. Hang in. We'll be right back with you in just a second. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 